0: on our own, but we ask that you allow the Holy Spirit to direct us and to guide us in how we are to please you, Father, that we are to have faith in your word, Father. We thank you and we praise you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, you turn with me to the epistle of Romans. The 12th chapter, very familiar passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, most of us have perhaps memorized it. But it does you no good to memorize it if you will not do it. And I'm afraid that that's what a lot of people have done, is just memorize Scripture. We are to be doers of the Word, and not just merely hearers of His Word. going to read in your hearing the first two verses of this chapter. And as I mentioned, we'll, we'll go further on uh, in this chapter because this is perhaps one of the best chapters to show and exemplify what Christian conduct looks like. Far too often we find ourselves just making it up as we go along and referencing back to how we used to do things in the world. And so Paul writes this letter to Corinth to encourage them, to strengthen them, but also to, to let them know that there is a standard in which God has for his believers. And I know a lot of times we don't like to hear that word standard, but there is a standard that God has for his believers. So let me read this in your hearing. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and I would like to take for a title for this message true Christian character true Christian character Paul writes here to this church having not never stepped foot into Rome but he's writing this epistle from Corinthians he's writing that he might have some fruit of this church that is in Rome. Rome was the epicenter of all commerce. It was a great city, it was a great place. But he's writing to encourage them that God has a standard by which to live. When you look at the overall theme of the book of Romans, The overall thing is that God is righteous and man is sinful. He lets us know in the third chapter, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that word there, all, in the Greek means all. It means exactly what it says. Every last one of us in here have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none of us, neither one of none of us are perfect. As a matter of fact, I've not had not one perfect day in in my whole history of my life. There is none that is perfect. Jesus, I mean, the Bible tells it, it makes it plain that none of us are perfect. But the Lord Jesus Christ. He also goes on to tell tell us that God loves us so much that he sent Christ that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sin. So not only does God let us know that we're sinful and that we're all sinners, but he also lets us know that there was a provision that was made for our sinfulness. And it was made and predicated on the love in which he has for us. Understand that. That God loves us enough that he sent Jesus to die on our behalf. That we might be able to inherit the kingdom of heaven. We cannot inherit it on our own. And so, and so he, he goes on to tell us that we're all in our sin, but if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gives us an avenue. He gives us a way to get back to him. And so when we get here in the 12th chapter, Paul begins it with saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, understand this word beseech. We don't use this word beseech in our English language anymore. But what this word actually means is that he's pleading with them, even to the point of begging them. And so what this tells me is that your sanctification is not a forced process. God lays it out there before you, and you still have the choice to choose. But be careful in how you choose. Because he said that, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice. A lot of meat in this. Here we see Paul is begging them. He's pleading with them by the mercies of God. In other words, by the bowels of compassion that God has for us. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying that God has given you room to grow in him. I know the Bible said, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God reserves the right to kill us every time we sin. But it's by the mercies of God. It's by his mercy that God withhold that death penalty from us. And he gives us chance after chance after chance after chance to get it right. And understand that that should be even the more motivation that you have to really get it right. When you look at how we've offended God. When you look at how we've trampled on the blood of Jesus Christ, when you look at how we've crucified Christ afresh every time we sin, but yet still, he still gives us another chance. Listen here. Did you not know that you're in here today based upon another chance? (laughs) Did you not know that you shouldn't even be sitting here today? It was another chance that got you here this morning. God gives us another chance to get it right. That's what His mercy looks like. He said that His mercies are new every day. He has new mercies for you every day. God does not run out of mercy. But there is a time when God will get fed up. There there, there is a time that God will say, okay, enough is enough. And God will allow some things to come into your life that will get you to a place to where you get back to where you need to be at. And that's at the foot of the cross. That is learning of him. That is being obedient unto him. But in the process of time, you get these mercies. The mercies of God. He said that you are to do what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. So in other words, he's saying, he's saying here that, 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 that there's a presentation that we make in our living. To present something is to display something. My question to you is, what kind of presentation are you putting forth? What, 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 what does it look like? What are you displaying in your everyday life? How are you living? Are you living in the context of what his scripture says? Are you loving like you should be loving? Are you loving with the same love that Christ loved us with? It takes us to look at ourselves, examine ourselves. Understand, understand, and I mentioned this on Wednesday. Because there's a seemingly spirit of carnality that is running throughout the church. And what I mean by cardinality, there's some fleshly type behaviors that we're exemplifying. When we should be responding in the spirit, I find more church members are responding in the flesh. In other words, if folk cuss you, if someone slaps you, If someone comes and and, and takes from you, the scripture says, "Vengeance is mine," saith the Lord. I will repay. And so we are to respond not in the flesh. Listen, listen. To what First Corinthians says? He says he, Paul writes this to, to the to church at Corinth. He says, "And brethren, chapter three, verse number one. And brethren, I could not speak unto you as spiritual." but as unto carnal, even as in babes in Christ. In other words, church, that there needs to be some folk that are in the church that need to grow up. There are some people out here who are blood washed, who are born again, saved and on their way to heaven, but still have that carnal mindset in you. And what Paul is writing to this church at Romans is, is that he said, you got to get rid of that. Yes. And here's how you do it. You present your body as a living sacrifice. The problem with the church is that we don't want to, we don't want to present the entire body as a living sacrifice. We'll present a hand and some of us a pinky but he said, present the entire body as a living sacrifice. And so and so this is where we we we, we actually we, we actually step into the priesthood because that was the objective of the priest. The objective of the priest was to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And here what he's saying that I want you to take, don't go get no goats or no lambs. Bring yourself to the altar. You see, because what the altar represented, the altar represented death. Paul puts it like this. I die daily. I crucify the flesh daily. This is what he's talking about. We've got to get to a place to where we learn how. It's not something that comes easy. We learn how to crucify this flesh. We learn how to walk holy and upright before the Lord. It does not come immediately. That's why it's important for us to get to Bible study, to Sunday school, that we might be able to learn how to walk upright, to live holy. So he said he said that he said that present your body as a living sacrifice. Now this is odd here. Because how in the world can you present yourself as a living sacrifice? Living means to be alive. Sacrifice means to die. Understand that when the priest brought the animal to the set to the altar, it was yet still living. But at some point they would cut the throat, drain the blood from it, and they would throw the entire animal onto the altar. That is the sacrifice. But understand that Christ is the one that came and was the ultimate sacrifice. And he is the reason why we can present ourselves as a living sacrifice. It was by the blood of the lambs and the goats that purified the people back in the Old Testament. But it is by the blood of Jesus Christ which was offered once and for all for our sin. So we bring ourselves to the altar. We place ourselves on the altar. And therefore we are an offering unto the Lord. But here's the key to, here's the key to this. An offering cannot be pleasing or, in, or, or acceptable by God be, until it's been put on fire. I hope you didn't miss that. If there's no fire, there's no sweet aroma that reaches up to heaven. It says the altar is when God is testing us, He's purifying us. So, in other words, it comes with some difficulties. You are not just to present yourself, just to present yourself. You're presenting yourself that you might be burned up and all of your sins may be purified. You're still living. You're still walking because that's the reason why you're going to be an example for this world. And that's how God spreads his gospel. That's how he spreads his message. That is not just through our spoken word, but it's what we see after we've come off of the altar. How are you walking? How are you living your lives? This this, this is what God wants us to understand. He wants us to come out of this carnality, this carnal way of thinking. Understand that that, that if we're going to be effective in this world, we have to bring them something different than what they see where they're at. They they need to come in here and see love and compassionate. They they, they need to know that when they come in here, they got a second chance. That we're not judging them based upon what they've done, but we're giving them that second chance. Just like we benefited from the second chance that God gave us. But you keep walking in carnality, keep appeasing the flesh. It leads to death. And maybe not necessarily your death in terms of losing your salvation, because you can never lose that. But what it will do is it will bring death to your relationships, death to your dreams. That's what it'll do. And there's nothing more frustrated than a dead man walking. Still have to live, but you're still in dead things. Did you not know that God made you a royal priesthood? That's that's what he says in 1 Peter uh, 2 and 9. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth, listen here, the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10 says this, he said, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So by the mercies of God, We are to do this, that we might be able to obtain favor from the Lord. God desires to do a work through us. But he cannot do it through these carnal vessels. He needs a spiritual man, a spiritual woman. We are not to walk in the flesh. We're to walk in the spirit so that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is is more than just a Bible verse. This is for us to do. Far too many times we're walking in the flesh. We're walking according to our worldly thoughts. The world does not have the same agenda that God has. As a matter of fact, the world's agenda is anti-God. It's anything but God. And So he, said, he says he said that, that, that we are to, uh, you know, uh, uh, bring them him a living sacrifice that is holy, number one, and acceptable. Well, how did they know that a, a, a sacrifice was acceptable under the Old Covenant? Well, several times, especially in the book of Leviticus, when it was, the Bible said that there was a sweet-smelling aroma that reached up to heaven. You, you, you know what it's like to go in the cookout, Right? You know, you got some ribs on the grill, man. I mean, some chicken. You know, and it's cooking. It smells good. For those who don't eat pork, chicken. (laughs) I eat some pork. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it smells good. It's inviting. And this is is what this smells to God. It's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. My question to you is, what are you smelling like? What kind of aroma are you sending up? When you get on the altar, what are you sending up to God? Understand that this is all before a holy and a righteous God. Everything that you do, everything that I do, should be something that pleases God. And it starts with our faith and our obedience to Him. Because it's by faith that we please God. So it's by faith we walk and we conduct ourselves, and we live our lives in such a manner that will please God. That's what he said, that it's acceptable and it's pleasing unto God. Why? Because this is our reasonable service. In other words, this is the minimal that we should be doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be willing to sacrifice our life. You remember when, 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 when uh, Jesus confronted Peter, about who do men say that I am. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and you know, Jesus commended him. But he follows it up with denying Christ and telling him that no, you will not go to the cross. And Christ rebuked the Satan that was speaking to him. And he says, this way, He said, a man who shall save his life must first, what? Lose his life. This is what he's talking about right here in this text. It's losing who you are. Your ambitions. You need to be who God wants you to be. Stop trying to be like your neighbors. Stop trying to meet up to this world system. Stop trying to be like the Joneses. Be like God has designed you to be. This this, this is what Paul is talking about. Because he understood that the church has its problems. The church is not perfect. There are some people who were robbers and thieves and climbed over to get into the church. Just a little bit here. Everybody in the church ain't saved. I thought I'd put that out there for you. Everybody in the pool pit ain't saved. Everybody in the choir is not saved. And so we cannot really look at each other either. We must look at the mirror of God's Word. What is the Word of God telling us? That's what we must identify with. What is the mirror of God's Word saying to us? Because that is our example. And we will never reach our objective apart from God's Word. So we are on the altar. God has lit the the fire and we're burning burning off all of those impurities the sin and the weight that does easily beset us we're trying to drop it off understand it is not an easy process it was never designed to be easy Why? Because there was nothing easy about Calvary. And Jesus said that if he bear his cross, we must also bear our cross. There ain't nothing easy about this thing. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Sanctification is a difficult process. God is separating us, He is setting us apart. Because in order for him to use us, we must be set apart. We must be a holy nation and a world priesthood, a peculiar people, set apart from this world. Why? Because he wants to use us as instruments that will get, evangelize this world. And he cannot do it if we're walking in the flesh. This is our reasonable service. Verse two, he goes on and said, "Be not conformed to this world." You know, to conform is to fit in. You know, it's, it's like when you want you want to get in and to fit in. You 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 want to you want to go along just to get along. It's when you don't speak out against injustices that you know are out there. Because what you do is you lead people to believe that you're in conformance with it. He said, don't be conformed to this world. He's not talking about the earth in in and of itself, but he's talking about this world system. This world system is anti-God. It is anti-faith. And so we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed. Now this word transform actually in the Greek means metamorphosis. Metamorpho, and what that we our, our word comes from is metamorphosis. What this word in the Greek means it means to change from one form to another form. Okay, did you get that? It is not a new and improved form of what you already were. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that he gives you a whole new nature. So when you're being transformed, you have been being transformed from that caterpillar to a butterfly. From a caterpillar to a butterfly. God comes to change your very nature. The problem with this whole situation is that you still have the old nature. You still feel the pull and the tug of sin in your life. But the new nature, that's the one that strives to please God. And the Bible said that they're constantly at war with one another. It says the spirit warreth against the flesh and the flesh warreth against the spirit. And depending on which one of them is the strongest, it'd be the one that you will obey. And that's why it's critically important that in this transformation process that you know that you must feed that spirit man constantly. We, we, we feed the f- fleshly man all the, all the time. Look at me and tell. You see, I eat, I love to eat. But I know that <laughs> but I know that I must feed, feed my spirit man as well. And so I constantly endeavor and try to feed him as much as I can. Because I get tired of getting defeated by the old sinful flesh. That's really what our Christian conduct boils down to. Which one of these men are winning? Paul here tells us that we're to do this by the renewing of our mind. It seems as though a lot of times that the mind, in terms of our Christian faith, is a forgotten entity. But understand that the mind is very powerful. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we are to have the mind of Christ. We're to have that Christ-like mind that thinks like Christ. And the only way that you can find out how Christ thinks is that you get into his word, that you understand what his word says. Number one, concerning you. His word says that you are the righteousness of Christ. That you are to walk according to that. You are his righteousness. And what that looks like is that even though you may not be living up to the standards which have been set before you, Christ, as God looks at you, he looks at you through the blood of Jesus Christ. So Christ took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. That was the exchange there. God gave that to us. Why? Because he loves us. So every morning you need to get up and continue and start off by renewing your mind. Wake up with with, with a mind to get into God's word and just read the verse and, and read it and read it and read it until your mind is being strengthened. The benefit of that is that when other folk come up to you and try and tell you who you are, you can tell them the devil is a lie. Because understand is that people will try to to peg you. They, they, they will try to label you. And I refuse to be labeled by anybody else than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ said that I'm the righteousness of God, then that's what I am. I'm the righteousness of God. And one of these days, when my breath has left my body, I'll be the absolute righteousness of God. But until then, I'll place myself on the altar that I might be able to be conformed into the image of God, into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're to do. We're to be in the form of Jesus Christ. We're to walk, we're to talk like Jesus talked. We're to be an example. It's a struggle, but it's necessary. This is a necessary struggle. If you can continue to live in this life, and it does not frustrate you when you sin before God, when it does not frustrate you, when when it does not bother you when you've wronged somebody, then then maybe you've got to go back before the altar. Maybe you need to go back to Calvary. Calvary. You see, because any born-again believer after a while cannot stay and remain in a sinful condition. I tell you, it, it, it was difficult for me. Even though I did it, it was difficult, it was hard. It wore me down. And eventually, it broke my spirit. And I was like, David, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I know I've been shaped in iniquity, God, but but God, renew a right spirit in me, God. And until you come to that place, until you come to a place to where it's, it's really all about God, it ain't about you. It's not about your past Because that's one of the biggest enemies that we have is our past, our memories. God says otherwise. You've been redeemed. And once again, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You got to speak it out. God has blessed us. With eternal life, he's given us the gift of eternal life. And not only has he done that, but he's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. That's enough to get excited about. That's enough to be joyful about. So when we look at our Christian conduct, we must understand that first we must be sanctified. We must be purified in the fire. Why? Because we've been justified by his blood. And so our Christian conduct should reflect the awesome price that was paid for us. How Jesus suffered, bled, and died on an old rugged cross over 2,000 years ago. Yes, he did. He came down and took on flesh. He demonstrated to us in his walk how we are to conduct our lives. If you really want to know how to uh, uh, live a Christian manner, look at the gospel. Look at how Jesus lived his life. Yeah. Look at how he forgave his enemies. Yeah. Look how he helped those that didn't care nothing about him. Yeah. And he forgave those enemies that came against him. Yeah. He came down here to show us how we are to live these lives. Yeah. But that wasn't enough. The religious faction got jealous of him. Yeah. And they wanted to get rid of Him and so they falsely accused him before Pontius Pilate, told him that he was a king coming to set up his kingdom. Jesus told Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If it hadn't been, there would have been angels that would have come and defended me, but my kingdom is not of this world. Yes, they marched him on up Golgotha's hill. where they nailed him in his hands, nailed him in his feet, put a crown of thorns on his head. He suffered blood and died for the sins of humanity. He said, I did not come to be served, but I came to give my life as a ransom for the world. He gave his life for you. He shed his blood for you. He died for you. He was buried for you. He rose on the third day to justify you with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. I tell you, He's a wonderful God. He's a saving God. He's a God that loves us, that redeemed us, that's keeping us. It's God that's keeping us. I know you thought you was keeping yourself, but God is keeping us, and He's going to continue to keep us. Now, unto Him who is able to keep us from falling, and to present us fallings before His presence with exceeding joy, to the only wise God for power, dominion, forever and ever. Yeah. God keeps us. Yeah. Keep on getting on the altar. Yeah. Keep on letting them burn off yeah. that sinful flesh. Yeah. Keep on being conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ because yeah. he's worthy yeah. to be praised. Yeah. But not only is that, there's some more good news, B. He's sitting at the right-hand side of the Father right now. He knows everything you're going through. Yeah. He sees every, every every pain that you have. Yeah. He sees every obstacle that's in your life. Yeah. And he's waiting. Right he's praying for you. Yeah. He's making intercession for you. Yeah. But there's even more, right? Yeah. Because he's coming back again. Yeah. yeah. He's going to rapture his church. He's going to catch us away. Yeah. And we'll forever be with him. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Then we'll come back with him and set up the kingdom here yeah. on earth. And we will rule with him. This is all of what God has done for us. He's done for us what we could not ever, 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 ever do for ourselves. So we're grateful for that. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Is there one?